over the powers and weaknesses of the super friends so that I may destroy them. Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Mr. Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Dedrick, Danarizia, and Woozy Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC. Who's who? Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe. Available monthly at Aquaman Trine, Firestorm Fan, and on iTunes and Stitcher as part of the Fire and Water podcast. Podcasting, the final frontier. This is the Hammer Podcast. It's 30-minute mission. To rehash geeky topics. To seek out new bastions of nerdiness. To timidly go where the more talented have gone before. Greetings, and welcome to the Fire and Hammer Podcast. The semi-official podcast of FirestormFan.com and TheHammerStrikes.com. I'm one of your hosts, Gene Hendricks, and with me, for the first time, is the incomparable, the indescribable, the irredeemable Shag. How are you, sir? I'm doing fantastic, and I'm incredibly flattered by your opening. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've been listening to Fire and Water long enough, I figured I had it down. You did it really, really well. (laughs) That was awesome. Uh, Well, thank you so much for having me on your show. You and I have been chatting back and forth on Facebook for... Pretty much, uh, well, before your show started, we kind of knew each other just from right. commentary. But then once your show started, we've been talking about getting together and doing something since then. And that was what, uh, I think that was what, 1964 you started your show? Yeah, And um, that's how long we've been trying to make this happen. <laughs> well, this time out, Shag and I are going to be talking about something that's uh, near and dear to our hearts, and that would be role-playing games. What is a role-playing game? Well, a role-playing game, and I'm not talking a type of video game that you sit down and play with people in China. I'm talking about (laughs) an actual pen and paper, sit across the table from your friends, and take on the role, there's that word, role, of a fighter, or a wizard, or a knight, or a cartoon character, if you want. Or a superhero. Yes. Or a scoundrel with a heart of gold. Or a Jedi Knight. Now, uh, I've actually heard, and this is a complete steal, I just don't know where from. (laughs) Role-playing games I have heard described as cooperative storytelling. And I think that is probably the best description for what I've seen, anyway. It's certainly a lot more mature than saying you're eating Cheetos and drinking a lot of Mountain Dew. Or Dr. Pepper, in my case. There it is. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, basically, for anyone that doesn't know... And if you don't know and downloaded this episode, even with the title Role-Playing Games, thank you. <laughs> it's You're basically getting together with a group of friends, one of which assumes the mantle of Game Master or Dungeon Master or Storyteller, however you, whatever the product says. And they're the ones that set up the story and play all the ancillary characters. And everybody else are the stars of the story. 
you know, would be if you're playing a Star Wars role-playing game, for example, the players would be Han, Luke, and Leia, and the game master would be everybody else. Yep. Now, I know I came to this this hobby, I would say, when I was in middle school. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my first game was actually second edition Dungeons & Dragons. And that's a funny story. That's actually where the name of the blog and the podcast come from, because the name of my first character was Mjolnir. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, now, was it from Thor, from mythology? Yes. Okay. So I, I came at it like, I don't know what to name a fantasy character. I read Thor comics. That's kind of fantasy. I'll call him after his hammer. And, you know, a podcast empire was born. I'm impressed that in middle school you could pronounce it properly. Back then I couldn't. <laughs> oh, okay, I was say, at my age, I'm not sure I can yet. <laughs> Me, Yol, Near. I, that, I'm totally not going to remember that. I promise you. <laughs> Nuclear. Anyway. <laughs> Inside jokes, not even on my own show. Uh, so how did you come at this hobby, Shag? Very similar to you. I am not deeply knowledgeable about Dungeons and Dragons, so you may have to correct me on some of this stuff. My first RPG, like any good citizen of the 1980s, was, was Dungeons and Dragons. I don't remember what edition it qualifies as. It was the pink box. It was a pink basic box. Is that because second edition? Uh, no, that was first edition. Second edition didn't have a box. Uh, oh, oh, second edition was the books, the big hardcovers. Yes. Okay, yes. yeah. So it was first edition. Okay, mm-hmm. it was first, but it wasn't the very first box because I want to say the first box was red. For yeah, me. you you probably had one of the one of the reissues that came about. Like you would see a lot of advertisements in comic books for Dungeons and Dragons with Bill Willingham art, by the way. Yes, and that's the later first edition, probably when the the very tail end of Gary Gygax being at TSR. Okay. So, yeah, it was uh, what I call the pink box. Some might call it the fuchsia box, you know, whatever. (laughs) And this this was about the same time. I think they had released a red advanced box, maybe. It doesn't really matter, I suppose. No. Okay. The detail like this is fascinating to me. The business side of any uh, geek culture is just fascinating to me so i get caught up in the marketing and all that but it was over at some friend's house you know for whatever reason our parents felt like sticking us together and trying to make us be friends and he was really into it he had gotten the box and said hey let's make characters so i spent an inordinate amount as any good role player i spent the whole night developing the character and never playing it (laughs) yeah that that is always the first session is you make characters for five hours that is the number one killer of every role-playing campaign ever, which is making characters. Because <laughs> you do that, and for some reason, you never do a second night. <laughs> Not never, but a lot of times. Mm. So anyway, so uh, I made an incredibly traditional, boring elf. Uh, I think the name I came up with was Zebron or something like that. After all these years, I don't know why I just pulled that out of the ether, but I did. And nothing specific you know i think i stole it from every elf quest comic i had seen on a spinner rack or something and or at least the, all the concepts i put the character through and uh and it didn't really light my fire i wasn't that excited by it so it wouldn't be until about 1984 i think it was when the marvel superheroes role playing game came out ah yes original first edition yellow box that was the real first the very first role playing game that sparked my interest to any great extent. Yeah, that is one of the high points in my middle school and high school social career was a huge group of my friends would always get together. I want to say it was at least twice a month. Okay. And we would play 
Marvel superheroes. Mm-hmm. And that actually carried over to college because mm-hmm. I had I had the yellow box. Then I also had the advanced. I liked the advanced box. That was pretty yes. slick. And that I took with me to college. And there was a gaming club mm-hmm. at college. And I went there the one day and uh, I was... We were trying to figure out what to play, and you know, there's people over there playing Magic, which killed just about every good gaming session that I was a part of. <laughs> oh, this person not here? Let me start playing Magic. Uh, oh, well, now they're here, but you're in the middle of that game. We can't play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. But I met a couple of very, very good friends through Marvel superheroes because, like, the one guy he loved Wolverine, so we would play. And he would he would be Wolverine, and he would do the voice from the cartoon. In Australian? No, or, not or the, the Australian 90s? Wolverine, the 90s okay. cartoon. I'm glad you at least know what I'm talking about. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what a piece of fruit, mate! <laughs> uh, I used to have that on VHS, actually. <laughs> that one episode. I might still. <laughs> I got rid of all my VHSs just because we didn't have room. Uh, mine are all in these like, big old Tupperware bins underneath couches and stuff because i have all these doctor who ones i'm like well i'm not paying 25 dollars for a dvd of something i watch once every 10 years i'm right. just gonna keep the vcr <laughs> now you can find them all on youtube so you don't even need them that's true but i digress so you had a you had a role-playing group uh which and you had a uh, guys were playing marvel advanced which was pretty slick mm-hmm. yeah we would uh we would go through bouts of because i would dm the marvel games mm-hmm. and then somebody else would dm uh the Dungeons and Dragons games, and eventually we... It got to the point... I Marvel, I think, was my gateway to this. Okay. In that it was a non-class and level-based game. Okay. And what I mean by that is, in Dungeons and Dragons, you have... Your class is a fighter, and that determines what you can do, and then you get experience and you go up in level. Level 1 to level 2, and, you know, the higher level, the more powerful. Marvel, it was all skill and ability-based, mm-hmm. and it didn't matter. There was no level. It was just how good are you at what you, you know, if you had some a character that focused specifically on agility, for example, and took skills and stuff all under agility, they could technically be more acrobatic than Spider-Man. He had super strength and everything, mm-hmm. but they could outpace him. You would never get anything on a 5th level fighter to outpace a 15th level fighter. You see what I'm saying? Oh, I know. You've just given me an epiphany, though. (laughs) So it seems from that point, most of my gaming experience has gone to non-class and level-based games, like the original West End game Star Wars, (sighs) which was, I actually ran a play-by-email for that game that lasted, I want to say, four years. Nice. Very nice. It was really good. We had some really, really good players on that. Mm-hmm. And it was all <laughs> it was all interactions, but it was through me as the game master. So they, I had one guy playing a droid. He was, playing an, he was playing an R2 unit. Mm-hmm. And he wanted, to, and there was a Jedi there. This we we were set in in the New Republic era, so we had it was a big mission, and there was a Jedi from Luke's Jedi Academy mm-hmm. that was on the mission, and he came from a culture that loved practical jokes. Oh goodness! The droid player through me 
said, this is what I want to do. I want to go into the, the ship laundry. I want to replace all of his robes with tie-dyed robes. And the guy didn't know who did it. Okay. Because I just told him, hey, this is, came back from the laundry. This is what happened. He, he went down in the crew quarters. What are you doing to me? And, all. and finally, the, the droid said, no, nah, I'm just going to tell him. And he came, hey, yo, I did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the reaction, because he took it perfectly well. The player did. He was laughing his ass off. Mm-hmm. But the character, he, he did it properly. And it was all over email. So you didn't see anyone's reaction. You didn't know who was doing what. And for a, a mission like that, I had one, two... At one point, I had like ten players. Okay. It was interesting. It was very interesting. That, that would have to be weird, because I... The, probably the thing that I get the most enjoyment out of role-playing is the interacting with people. Like, um, I've got... And I don't, I don't know, I don't, I'm digressing from the agenda or not, but just, just to give you some more backstory, some of the people that I've met through role-playing have become lifelong best friends for me. And that's because of the face-to-face time. For example, um, you mentioned West End Games, Star Wars. Well, I played first edition, second edition, second edition revised mm. of West End Games, Star Wars, off and on over the course of about four years um, with a group. And one of the guys became my roommate. And has been my best man at my wedding. Has been I've been the best man at his wedding. We're best. He's still to this day my best buddy. And uh, it was all because of Star Wars, our role playing that we ended up coming together. The doing it via email would be so strange to me, just not having the face to face contact. Well, you have to remember that every player that I had there, except for one, mm-hmm. I knew personally. Okay. Well, if you knew them already, so I guess there's yeah. some. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was. It, it, we basically just expanded from the table, but even now. And this is morphing into our next topic. I'm currently running a monthly game mm-hmm. of King Arthur Pendragon. Oh, okay, yeah. I love that game. That's probably the my favorite role-playing game ever. You've mentioned that on some previous episodes. Now, who produced yeah. that game? Uh, it was originally Chaosium. Okay. Then it uh, went over to... Green Ronin, I think, was wow. the name of it. Okay. But now uh, it's produced the by the creator, uh, Greg Stafford. Mm-hmm. And it's in its fifth edition at the moment. Wow. But what's nice about this is every single edition mm-hmm. is compatible. Okay. It, all the mechanics and everything are the same. It's just he, you know, meddled with a few things over here and a few things over there. But... I've got, and uh, yeah, I mentioned this in my first mythology episode. He put out a book called The Great Pendragon Campaign. And it is a year by year from, I believe it is 10 years before the birth of King Arthur Mm -hmm. through all the way through Arthur's reign until I think it's maybe even one or two years after Arthur dies. Hmm. And it's year by year, this is what happens. But the way the game is set up, you're knights. So you can only, you have these lands you have to deal with. So you can only adventure during the summer. So every adventure is a year's game time. Okay. So you set it up that it's a multi-generational hmm. uh, adventure. So, like, the players now, and these, these are two very good friends of mine, and my wife are the players. Okay. And they are currently bringing up the third, third? Yeah, third generation of knights. 
Oh, wow. So they started at the very beginning, mm-hmm. and that was 485, year 485. And we're currently in year 530, I think. Now, how long have you guys been role-playing this particular campaign, like in real-world time? Real-world time, uh, since before my daughter was born, and she is six now. Wow. Okay. Well, like I said, it's a monthly campaign. Mm-hmm. Everyone comes to my house. You know, because, you know, the Game Master's here, one of the players is here. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And we do, like, one Saturday a month, and that's what we do for the day. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is, oh, you know, let's figure this out, it's a good adventure, etc. But the major draw of it, and this is what you were talking about, is I don't get to see these people otherwise. Yeah. You know? It's, uh, half the time is just us sitting around BSing. You know, mm-hmm. how, just having fun being together, you know, and that that is my ultimate reason for doing role playing is just to have fun with my friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally get that. For, for me, I, I, I'm going to give you a little more of my, uh, I guess, role playing resume real quick <laughs> to, to kind of lead to where I am now. And uh, it's it's absolutely about the interaction. It's actually it's absolutely about the friends. And I, I I also enjoy the acting aspect of it. I like game mastering because I like to play a lot of different characters. So. Mm. Give you a little bit more of the resume. I mentioned the Marvel Vox. Um, you know, for me, what what sort of opened my eyes to a lot of it was the I don't know if you remember the Project Wide Awake supplement from Marvel. It was basically a, a who's who for X Men. Uh, I think I saw it. I don't think I've ever, I've ever owned it. I think I saw it in the game store once. I didn't even have it. My friend's mom photocopied every single page of his for me. Wow. It's like 150 pages she made on an office copier. You know, back <laughs> in '84 and. I like lived inside that document, and I think that may be where some of my love of who's who type stuff came from. Mm-hmm. Is that just that living inside that and studying the, the statistics? Anyway, I didn't. I never. I didn't actually play the Marvel game all that much. I just fell in love with it there, and then moved to the once the DC game came out in '85. I started playing the DC game for Mayfair a whole bunch. I had groups from of the Mayfair game. Um, from they came out in 85 up through 89, like regular groups all the way through high school. Play, I was playing with adults. I was a high school kid playing with adults playing this game wow. that I met in the comic shop. And then going into college, yeah, that's when I started doing the Star Wars very for a long period of time. Then when West End Games, because I had already loved the West End Games Star Wars, when West End Games got the DC license, which and the game wasn't that great, but I put together through more luck than anything, an incredible group that and that was in the year 2001 that I am still hanging out with today. Wow. So that's what, 14 years later. Uh, we've stopped role-playing now because uh, we're all too lazy to put adventures together. Now we do board games. Mm-hmm. But from 2001 to about 2009, it was a solid campaign of the superhero role-playing. And we built this very elaborate world within the DC universe, and it was a heck of a lot of fun. Had a great time. We even tried uh, to transition to the Green Ronin DC Adventures game using, um, I guess the DC Adventures game wasn't out. We were using Mutants and Masterminds at that point. But Okay. So but DC was just a real, real hoot for us. We absolutely loved it. See, you have the complete opposite experience with me because I've always been fascinated with the DC game, but I've never played it. Uh-huh. Whereas I played the heck out of the Marvel game on mm-hmm. at, you know multiple stages of my life. So it's, it's interesting. And that, that's probably why I like the Hero Points podcast so much because you're talking about all this stuff that is in my head. 
<laughs> that I've never gotten to actually do anything with. Thank you for pimping that. I really should have. <laughs> All over on the Fire and Water Network, we do have a show. We've only done two episodes so far, but called the Hero Points Podcast, where we talk about DC uh, superheroes role-playing games. So it's great. I do that with Siskoid from Siskoid's Blog of Geekery. Lots of fun. So just 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 touch on other stuff. I did a bunch of other games over the years. I played like Torg, uh, which is actually surprisingly fun. Again, if you have the right people. Savage Worlds, Deadlands, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from Palladium was one of the earliest mm. games I played. I had a blast with that. You know, uh, Time Lord, the Doctor Who game, GURPS, Mage. I actually was a playtester for... Cubicle 7, they currently have on the market a Doctor Who Adventures in Time and Space role-playing game. Oh, wow. And I was a playtester, and my name's actually in some of the earlier box sets, which is kind of cool. And some of the ideas of my ideas I submitted to the game are actually in the game. So that's kind of a, like a, my proud, geeky role-playing thing. Wow, that, that's really nice. But where I am nowadays, I actually would be termed a lapsed gamer. Because as I said, around 2009, me and my buddies, we kind of got out of role-playing. It's just to, a lot of it had to do with just not enough time to prepare adventures properly and things like that and just our lives were changing and the group dynamic changed and now we do board games we still get together every week though and role playing is what brought us together but this is the crazy thing uh as i said i'm a, I'm a lapsed gamer however literally tonight i kid you not and it had nothing to do with us recording my 15 year old came to me tonight and said hey can we role play star wars tonight <laughs> and i was like you know, we, we had talked about doing it once before, and we had done like a half one of those nights where you do you build the character, <laughs> and you sort of half build the you know we we half built a character and we did a quick part of an adventure, but it didn't really go anywhere. And that was probably six months ago. You know, never thought about it again. I didn't think he really engaged on it, but mm-hmm. today he came to, and asked me that. So tonight we sat out here in my office and we role played Star Wars uh, West End games second and a half edition, if you call it that, and uh, had a blast. He has got the heart of a role player, that kid. Nice. I'm very excited about that. Currently, my daughter wants to get involved, but she's only six, so she doesn't quite get what's going on. I let her roll the dice for me. Okay. I'm going to be interested to see when she gets a little bit older, because she's just now starting to read on her own. Mm-hmm. See where it goes. But, I mean, this this is a girl who, in <laughs> she, she was actually playing My Little Pony mm-hmm. with a Snake Eyes figure. <laughs> and one of her most prized possessions is the Encyclopedia of DC Super Pets. Awesome. So I've got her from multiple angles here. Say, <laughs> so that's called raising them right. Yeah. <laughs> and my sister doesn't like it. <laughs> hey, you know what? Not your sister's <laughs> yeah. choice in this matter. She she had a opportunity today because she babysat her to mm-hmm. try and undo some of it, but no. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> awesome. My daughter kept popping her head in tonight, and she, my daughter's eight, and she kept popping her head in tonight. She just kept finding reasons to come in. She knew mm-hmm. she wasn't supposed to be doing this, but she like, hey, daddy, ooh, what's that? And so she, she wants in on it, too, but obviously it's, it's not going to work with a 15-year-old because at that age they just hate each other. Right. But you know what got me thinking, and maybe this would work for you, too? Dungeons & Dragons released – this is probably going back five, six years. Probably found it on the web still. A free downloadable game. Mm-hmm. And you just download the PDF for it. It was like, I don't know, 30 pages or something. And it was called something else. It wasn't Dungeons and Dragons. It was like, I don't know, Monsters and Mazes or something. I mean, I, I think that's actually a real game. But anyway, um, and it was designed for you to do role playing with young children. But wow. it was still sort of a fantasy setting. 
I don't remember what the target age was though. I don't know if it, I don't know if it was six or maybe it was ten. You know, but Google, I guess uh, who owns them? Uh, Wizards of the Coast nowadays. Yes. Yeah. Check out their website, and I bet you'll find it. I bet it's still out there, and um, might be worth checking out. Yeah, can't hurt to look. Yeah, get get them in early. Yeah. <laughs> well, she also is one of these that she overacts just normally. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure role-playing would be a perfect fit. You should see her singing Let It Go. She does all the arm movements <laughs> and everything from Elsa, and it's a production. <laughs> uh, I totally understand. I completely do. So what are you... This is something I was thinking about before. What was the strangest role-playing game you ever played? I'll, I'll give you a minute to think about that. I'll, I'll let you know what mine was. Okay. I spent a year at the University of Sheffield in England as part of the study abroad program. Wow. And that's why I can understand Hey Kids Comics on a higher speed. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the games we played over there was a game called Feng Shui. You know, okay. like the alignment of furniture and stuff in your house. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was based on, like, uh, Hong Kong action movies mm-hmm. where the harder something was to do, the easier the role was. So, like, if I said I take out my gun and I shoot at him, it would be, like, a difficulty of 50. Mm-hmm. If I say I take out my two guns, cross my arms, dive over the table and shoot at him, it would be, like, difficulty of 10. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it was just it was just a strange thing. We only played it once, but it, mm-hmm. it just stuck in my head. There, you know, I there's a couple of games I've played that were very odd. Like Paranoia was an interesting game in mm-hmm. that I want to say their tagline was like if you don't die twice, you're not playing it right or something like that. Because the way you would build you would build your character, and I want to say your character was a clone of like, and you had to have like five versions of yourself. And it just nothing went right for you in that game. Uh, that was an odd one. I played a cartoon-based game. I can't remember. I think it was just called Toon. This Toon, been... Toon is the, the big one of that. Yeah. Okay. That was very bizarre. Probably the one, though, that I had the most tr- trouble with. And most people would not think this is bizarre. But for me, it was. Was I played Mage with a buddy of mine. And okay. he is... And I don't mean, when I say storyteller, I don't mean it in the role-playing sense. I mean in, just in real life. He's one of the most amazing storytellers I've ever met. And uh, he's a published author. He writes plays. He's just he, for those of you who are listening, he's surprisingly well known. He goes by Ravenface or Simon. Some of you may know who I'm talking about. Uh, amazing, amazing guy. And he was our storyteller for Mage. And I, I couldn't grasp the whole storytelling concept. I wanted dice. I wanted combat. I just couldn't make it work for me. And I was never comfortable doing it. So while I'm not answering your question from like a funny point of weird view, that mm-hmm. was probably the hardest or strangest role-playing experience for me. I just could not wrap my arms around it. Huh. And it's interesting. Uh, I, meant, I, I started it on a point earlier and I forgot. You mentioned the whole class and uh, race thing. Yes. Yeah. Um, or class and level, I think is what it was. Yeah, class and level. The epiphany I had a little while ago is when you explained that, I can't stand games with classes and levels. That's part <laughs> of the reason I, I've had trouble with Mutants and Masterminds as a superhero game, because it's got classes and levels. Mm-hmm. It just drives me friggin' nuts. I, I don't like it. And I really, the epiphany was that I didn't start with games that had class and level. I started with Marvel superheroes. I started with DC. All these, I started with Star Wars where class and level didn't matter. So... By the way, with Marvel, you know, uh, remember how they had the different levels of, like, poor, feeble, you yes. know, excellent. Like, did you guys, we started making up half, before there was advanced, we started making up half steps. Oh, really? Yeah, because we were like, well, 
it's not really a 20 and it's not really a 30. It should be like a 25. So we started using the dramatic terms from Marvel Comics. So we would make up a one like Invincible from Iron Man or <laughs> um, Fantastic would be a level. And then we got to uh, Spectacular. And uh, I think Amazing was already actually one. So we actually had a, a level called Web Of. <laughs> So I still use that joke uh, a lot when we're doing role playing. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, actually, it's interesting with the class and level thing. When Wizards of the Coast bought the Star Wars rights, mm-hmm. and they they brought it out as a D twenty game. A little bit of explanation for listeners: the original West End game Star Wars was entirely six sided dice, and depending on your level of skill you had mo- how many six-sided dice you rolled when it wizards brought out their version it was all based on a 20-sided die mm-hmm. but it had classes and levels so whenever someone said oh well it's d20 therefore it's better i would say okay well what levels or what class is han solo because you can't put him in a class he was an imperial officer then he was a smuggler then he was a general what is he you right, know, he doesn't fall into that. That's why the West End Games version is so good because it's all skill based. He, you are what your skills are. You're mm-hmm. not, you know, you're not forced into this artificial bottleneck of, oh, you're a fighter, therefore you can only use these. No, <laughs> have have you read Lord of the Rings? Gandalf uses a sword. <laughs> I I love the that that skill based system. There's something tactile about having a handful of like six sided dice. Oh yeah. Versus the one twenty sider. Now I've played a lot of one you know, the D twenty games. Uh, Torg was probably my favorite D twenty game because it had a really funky table you had to follow for when you rolled. But uh, there's there's something about having a handful of dice. Yeah, and that's one of the things I like about Pendragon because while it's D twenty on skills and things, damage is in D six. And when you do a critical hit in Pendragon, you roll twice the number of D sixes. Hmm. And what's funny is if you're jousting or doing a lance charge, it's not your damage. It's the damage from the horse you're riding. So if the horse you're riding is a 7d6 horse and you crit, you roll 14 dice. Oh, wow. That's so much fun. Yes. (laughs) And you get to say, and the horse you rode in on. (laughs) By the way, just uh, did a quick Google. Uh, The kids version of D&D you can find on uh, either Wizards of the Coast site or a couple other sites. It was called Monster Slayers. Monster Slayers. Yep. Okay. And some of the commentary I'm reading, it says that it was uh, some kids as young as six playing the game. Well, I will definitely look that up. Yeah, it's oh, here it is. Yeah, it's still out on Dungeons. It's on the archive. <clears throat> it's on the archive page for Wizards uh, of the Coast, but it's out there still. Okay. I, I'll take that under advisement. Thank you very much. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm all about getting kids into this kind of stuff. So. Mm, especially expressive kids. <laughs> exactly. Because exactly. they need the outlet. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something I, I want to point out. A lot of people, and I'm not talking about the stupidity back in the 70s and early 80s of, you know, it's, it's satanic and all this crap. <laughs> you know, people just looking at role-playing games as, you know, you know you're socially inept, etc. These games force you into critical thinking, math skills, and social interaction. Mm -hmm. Whether 
it's be you know with people that you're already friends with or f- people you haven't met yet and you're just you know walking to a game store and you're going to be playing with them but the math skills i noticed well i'm an engineer so i i tend to use math a lot and it's one of those things you look at and my wife is still amazed i can just look at some dice and say oh yeah that totals this Mm-hmm. Because I'm so used to it, I'm just so used to adding the numbers, and you have to—it's a risk re- reward thing. As my uh, Quantum Cast cohort Jeff said, you look at any type of role-playing game where you're going, "Do I want to do this?" Well, I could get you know this reward, but my character could die. You know, yep. you're you're doing risk reward analysis. It's not called that in the game. But that's what the group does when they decide, yes, we want to take on this adventure from this stranger we just met in a tavern. So it, it actually, it it's good for you. Oh, yeah. I mean, you mentioned the math. You got the reading. You know, the, there's cooperative. There's leadership in there. There's problem solving, creative thinking, all those things. It's all part of role playing. Yeah. So I think, especially if you, if you have a game master who likes to talk out situations rather than roll them, mm-hmm. it also helps you become maybe not a public speaker, but become more comfortable discussing things that you may not necessarily be prepared to do. Yes, it's definitely a way to learn to get your point across without having to rely on somebody else. Yep. And the best games, at least from what I've seen, are the ones where you have to do all the interactions. Mm -hmm. You know, the dice roll is nice. It may give you a bonus, but you have to, and here's that word again, you have to role play out bluffing your way past this guard. Exactly. Exactly. We used to do, uh, in that long superhero campaign I mentioned that went for like nine years, every once in a while we would just declare a diceless night Mm -hmm. where everything had to be determined through discussion. And usually it wasn't a combat, and usually it was like a subplot night, because we had, just like a superhero comic, we had every subplot you can imagine. You know, we had doppelgangers, we had people betraying each other, we had relationships, we had, you know, all the stereotypical superhero tropes. And uh, we, it got to the point where there was so much baggage amongst the characters, we actually had one night where we all went to a psychologist together, like not in real life, but in the game, and talked through our issues and it was one of the most hilarious and fun role-playing experiences we've all had. Because we just, you know, we're sitting here arguing with each other about fictitious things that happened and why it still bothers that character. And it was just, it was a hoot for us. So you read a lot of X-Men and Teen Titan comics when you were growing up. Did I grow up in the 80s? <laughs> <laughs> because it sounds like Chris Claremont and Marv Wolfman wrote your, your sessions there. Or I wrote the sessions based on Marv Wolfman and Chris Claremont raising me. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, is that a weird image. <laughs> well, you know, I don't tell my mom that, but... No. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, I mean, I have so many positive experiences wrapped up in role playing and, again, the friendships and just having so much fun and, and build. Uh, it, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. It's just, it's, it's built so many things in my life, building these relationships and getting to know. Because you usually you end up throwing together a group of strangers. Yes. And by the end of it, you've built a, a support group, a friendship group. I mean, when I started that group in 2001, I'll. I'll give you a little real world info. I was actually going through a divorce and it was a really bad time in my life. And that's why I actually sort of, if you would regressed back to something from my comfort era, mm-hmm. well, you know, I was like, I, I need to do something good. And this role playing group is what I built. I, I needed something for myself because I was going through this hard time. And, um, I barely knew anybody 
in the group. It, literally, I, I, it was a guy I worked with, some other people that I really didn't know, and we came together. And as I said, you know, 14 years later, you know, we've helped each other move. We've done some crazy crap to help each other out in real life and helped each other find jobs. And we're real-world tight friends, you know? Well, that's one thing I notice, especially when I'm playing with groups that I don't know. It doesn't happen anymore, but if I knew, like, the Game Master and that was it, and I started playing with these people, you would quickly figure out whether you were compatible with them or not, just by how they behaved around the table. Not necessarily in character, because the character thing can can, uh, be whatever for whatever game you're in, but how they reacted to somebody else taking center stage, for example, or coming up with an idea of how to get around this obstacle. And it's kind of a, a self-weeding out. You know, you, you realize whether you click with these people or not pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And there are, I've seen some, some instances where you've had a group and it's like, oh, well, we need a couple more players. Somebody comes in and they want to play the uh, misunderstood drow. Where have I heard that before? <laughs> and then you look at it, okay, fine. Well, uh, what, and D&D, there's a class, you know, what, and what class are you? Uh, call me a scout. Scout. Okay, so you're a ranger? No, I'm a, I'm, I'm a scout. And yes, this actually did happen. And the guy lasted one session. Mm-hmm. And the game master told us afterwards, he said, yeah, he, he was a, a fighter thief. He was calling it a scout, but he didn't, because he was a drow, he didn't want you to think he was a thief and all this. Oh, jeez. Yeah, so it, it's interesting how the groups weed themselves out. And you get some that I wouldn't play with, but they're perfectly happy together and they're great friends. Go for it, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I don't have to like everything that everybody plays. It's, it's just like comics or movies or anything. You like it? Great. I may not. But you're having a ball, go for it. That's why there's so many role-playing games out there. There's, you know, all the um, the vampire games and mm-hmm. stuff, which I played a handful of times, and, you know, like you, I just don't get it. <laughs> you know, there's the D&D stuff, where actually I have a friend of mine who wrote his own version of 2nd Edition D&D. Okay. Based on Gary Gygax's original notes. Oh, wow, and okay. Stuff. And he's he's all into that that end of things, even up to the, the latest edition of, of D&D. And it's, I mean, it's fun when I play with them just because that's a group of people I, I enjoy hanging out with, but it's not my preferred type of game. Mm-hmm. Whereas my preferred type of game is the one I run. <laughs> that's that's why we do it, because I like it, therefore I'm going to run it. There's an astonishing number of people I know playing Pathfinder nowadays, which I guess is... What advanced D and D? It's D and D like three point seven five or something. Yeah, it's something like that. like that. Yeah, and they they bought up the rights to it, and now they've just built a game for it. It's nuts, but yeah. it's a lot of people love it. Yeah, I mean, it, if you want that kind of game, it's it's. I played it once, I think. Mm-hmm. Once. Yeah, but that again, that was it. Was all my old friends from high school? Hey, we're gonna play this. Let's, Okay, fine. I just want to hang out with them. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't. I didn't give a damn about the game. <laughs> I don't know if you're like me. Do you have a shelf of games that you bought with the intention of playing with a group someday and never ended up playing? Uh, I think I got rid of a a good number of them. But I I do have a section of my shelf like that. Yes. To, to this day, I still mourn never playing Space 1889, which was 
steampunk before there was a term for it. Right. Um, it's such a cool looking game. It was exactly what it, it sounded like. You know, it's steampunk going in space adventures in in British Empire eighteen hundreds. It's so cool. And like uh, Underworld from Mayfair. I, I now I used to um I used to manage a comic book store actually from ninety two to ninety six, and we sold role playing games. So I, I have a I feel very lucky to have, to have the opportunity of seeing a bunch of role-playing games and been around role-playing games and sold them and stocked them and, you know, got a chance to read up on them that I never got a chance to play. So I have a pretty wide knowledge of the games that were out during that era. So it's just uh, fascinating to me the amount of different games that were out there. Now, we were talking earlier about sharing your stories and, and what your characters may or may not have done. I'll tell you, it's kind of funny. As a, as a person that worked in a comic book store, that was the most dreaded thing. <laughs> it would be a customer that wanted to tell you about their character. <laughs> you'd be working, you know, and and they would come in, and people love hanging out in comic book stores because usually mm-hmm. it's fun. You're arguing, you know, who's stronger, Thor, or Silver Surfer, you know, whatever. But they'd be like, "Oh, let me tell you about my character," and then for 45 minutes, they're telling you about some adventure that you weren't there for, and that the game master did a much better job describing than you could, and, <laughs> and you're just like, "Oh, let it end, let this end." Ah, uh. so that was a. Uh, and, and I think they even make T-shirts now that say things like, no, I don't want to hear about your character. Like <laughs> yeah, I'll wear that to a, a bunch of gaming conventions. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all, you can do the same thing. No, I don't want to hear about your fanfic. Oh, there you go. Perfect, perfect example. So, well, I have shelves of role-playing games that I've kept. Some that I actually play. Like I mentioned, I played the, the West End Games DC one and the Mayfair one. I've, I've got those and I've got shelves of Star Wars ones. And I use them as reference books still a lot because, you know, having... The the role-playing scores helps give you a perspective on power levels, you know, like who, yeah. who rates where. It also helps you fill in a lot of background information, like, uh, for example, the Atlas of the DC Universe. Greatest book ever. I love that book. Again, I've never played the game, mm-hmm. but I love that book because I was able to read through things and it's like, oh, well, you know, they're going here. Well, where is that city? Well, look, <laughs> look on my map of the United States. There it is. Okay, so I know approximately how far they have to go. Or, you know, what what is the Major League Baseball team in Metropolis? Well, I look it up. <laughs> <laughs> the Meteors. Yes. <laughs> Sadly, I know that from because of that book. Yeah, but I like background information. This is why I drive my wife nuts, because I have to watch all of the DVD extras on any movie we buy. Oh, jeez. Okay. It's it's the same thing. It's That is the DVD extras for my comic books. That's true. It's true. You know, and the Marvel had the same thing. They, they had the loose leaf... Uh, sheets for all the characters so i know i have the sheet for the abomination that's you know front and back so i know what his history is what his power levels are etc so if i'm ever reading a hulk comic with the abomination i know approximately where he stacks up Mm-hmm. i have to say marvel uh and dc both were very good about that with the the three ring binder sets uh, for characters and DC Mayfair did this really cool thing where they they published their Who's Who, which was uh, if you're not familiar with it, shame on you. It's uh, DC's basically encyclopedic listing of all their characters, and they published the loose leaf edition in the '90s. I I want to say Marvel started the loose leaf thing first, but either way, Mayfair published a companion piece to it. So you could have your binder with your and, and maybe you're saying the same thing about Marvel. Maybe I just didn't realize that. But you'd have the loose leaf DC. So you'd have your character picture and your description, and then the next page, if you bought the Mayfair thing, was all the stats. Are you, did Marvel do the same thing? Is that what you're saying? And I just didn't pick up on. Well, no, Marvel. The Marvel role playing game had everything all in one. 
Oh. So they had the stats, the history, the character picture all on one sheet. I see. Okay. Gotcha. So that, you know, I I have a couple a couple of sections of that. I don't have the complete A to Z, but they are online. Ah, there fact, you go. All nice. the all the old Marvel role playing stuff is available online. I just can't remember the website off the top of my head. Marvel stuff is so funny. I I remember like the early editions. We used to you know mess around with the mechanics to try and break it. And the big thing I remember the most saying was that if. It, and this would be first edition. If you rolled a 100, which was a two zeros, on this little teeny tiny 10-sided dice, um, if, you ro- if you rolled two double zeros, Aunt May could kill the Hulk with a butter knife. Because Technically, of the way, yes. Because of the way the chart worked. And they hadn't invented the, you know, the... I don't remember what they called it later, but you know the invulnerability aspect of the game and stuff like that. So we used to just, we used to love to try and find ways to break games because that's what nerds do. <laughs> yeah, you get into the minutia and try and piece it together and rip it apart. <laughs> yep, we even went so far um, to build. Uh, and this isn't about game breaking, but about ours like the Who's Who. When we were doing the DC, the Mayfair one, we actually built our own Who's Who pages. Oh, really? Uh, for, uh, for stats-wise, yeah. Yeah. We try to lay it out. You know, On a Commodore 64, trying to use some very, very basic Q&A, or no, uh, not Q... Yeah, I guess Q&A was maybe the name of it. Oh, gosh, I can't even remember. But it was a cut-and-paste program, basically, and trying to you know lay it out graphically to look like the who's who entries and just, oh, the, oh, the nerdy stuff you do. <laughs> well, that, that's, that's one step beyond what I did, because when we in... I want to say this was like freshman year high school, maybe sophomore year high school, something like that. We we were uh, playing the Marvel game, and we've decided, well, you know, we're so important, we're going to become members of the Avengers, because I had the Avengers box set. Okay. And we were the South Jersey Avengers. <laughs> which I think is a step above the Great Lakes Avengers myself. But... Potentially. <laughs> if you live in Jersey, you probably would think that, yeah. But... I would draw comic book covers of the adventures we had. Okay, yeah. And I actually posted them on Facebook. I discovered them a couple months ago. I scanned them in and I said, yeah, I, I want to embarrass myself and my friends. Let me post <laughs> it out on the internet. That's fantastic. I'm going to have to go dig those out. That's yeah. great. I think the games I miss the most, probably... And then this will be an interesting question for you, too, because obviously you're playing Pendragon, yeah. but what game do you miss the most? I miss... Um, Oddly enough, probably Torg. Torg was a multi-genre game system where, the, not to get into all the details of the game, but basically it's planet Earth, but there were all these different zones on the Earth. Like one zone was a zone that was very prehistoric, like you know dinosaur-type era. Another zone was cyberpunk. Another era was like 1940s Indiana Jones kind of stuff. And when you would enter those zones certain aspects of your character would change. Hmm. Like when you would go to the Indiana Jones era, the tempo of the stories would get faster. You could do things you couldn't normally do. Like you could make a giant leap across a chasm that you wouldn't normally be able to do. But in that zone, you could. Or if you went to the dinosaur era, your electronic pulse rifle would stop working. You know, and it just it, it changed the nature of what would happen in the game depending on what era, you know, what land you were in. But I loved the multi-genre aspect of it. Because I, I played a Indiana Jones kind of character, and I liked just hopping from world to world, you know, different system to different system, and it was a lot of fun. And a lot of it had to do with the folks I was with. It was the same folks that we had done the DC group with, okay. but we took a break from DC for a while, and we tried. Like, I think what we were doing was, like, we were playing DC every other week, and then on the off weeks, we're like, 
well, you know what? We could get a few of us together and do Torque. So that's kind of how that happened. I would have to say the one I miss the most is the Marvel game. Yeah. Just because so, so much of what I played growing up was that game. Mm-hmm. And I still have have that mindset. I have, I have very specific Michael Bailey-like memories Whoa! of playing that game okay. in my parents' old house. And the basic setup we had and the different heroes we were trying to be and how none of us was competent at all. It, it was just so fun. Mm-hmm. And I think mainly what I miss is playing. Because right now, I'm the game master. Yeah. And I have to do everything. And I miss just being able to show up and play. Mm-hmm. You know? But, I mean, to, to get together with my friends... And to do something, especially with Pendragon, where it's pretty much laid out for you, it's mm-hmm. not that bad. But I, I'd miss just being able to sit down and play in a goofy superhero mindset. Yeah, fighting a doc- giant Dr. Octopus android. Yes. Whose weakness is in the bottom of his foot. <laughs> Wasn't that the introductory adventure in the yellow box? It was something say? like that, yeah. 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 <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> Good stuff. It's funny the weird crap you remember when you really start thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, my my brain is a trap for trivia, which is a problem when my daughter's watching My Little Pony. <laughs> oh, no. Because <laughs> I, uh, I watch it and I remember stuff from it. And my <laughs> wife looked at me, I, I said something, well, you know, well, in this that episode it was this. And my, my wife looks at me, how do you know this? <laughs> no, this is entirely wrong. Yeah. Rainbow Dash would never say that. Uh, <laughs> and you, you feel my pain because you know the name Rainbow Dash. <laughs> <laughs> As I said, I have an eight-year-old daughter. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, ironically, um, you know, I, you, we mentioned the Firestorm fan site earlier. I do run a, a site dedicated to Firestorm the Nuclear Man. A very large fan of Firestorm is a gentleman by the name of Tom Zoller, who draws and writes some of the My Little Pony comics. Yes. And so he and I were chatting about the My Little Ponies and things like that, and it's a, it's a, it's a pervasive little thing. It just kind of creeps in all over the place. Yes, it does. So. <laughs> but I'm glad of the reverse, too, because there are some geeky things that creep into My Little Pony. Oh. I did actually a blog post on Hammer Strikes about one that it was the end of a big storyline, they took the end of Star Wars, the medal ceremony, and redid it in My Little Pony. That is awesome. So it, I like the nods. They realize, hey, guess what? The parents are watching this too. Let's throw them a bone. I love it when kids' TV shows do that. I'll, I'll throw one, one of my favorites out that has nothing to do with any of this, but I just have to say it. There's a show called um, Victorious, starring a, a young actress named Victoria Justice. It's a sort of a iCarly spin-off of sorts. But anyway, they did an entire episode that was almost a scene for scene reshoot of Breakfast Club. Wow. It's awesome. It's like, "Oh my gosh." After watching that show and it's kind of a bit in and sorry if I'm offending anyone. It's a bit inane that you're watching that show. It kind of melts your brain a little bit. But seeing it suddenly turn into a Breakfast Club episode was like so cool. <laughs> We're really far off the yeah. dice rolling reservation at this point. Yeah, I think we've uh, drifted sufficiently off topic to say that we are done with the topic. There it is. <laughs> so why don't you tell the nice people where they can find you on the interwebs, Shag? Well, thank you for that opportunity. All right, so I mentioned Firestorm Fan. It's firestormfan.com and uh, it is dedicated to DC's Nuclear Man. And now the star of the Flash TV series. Notice I didn't say featuring or co-star. I said star because uh, almost all of Flash's villains are actually Firestorm rogues. 
So you can find that at firestormfan.com. You can also find me under the same handle of Firestorm Fan on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, and Instagram. Then uh, I am part of also the Fire and Water podcast, which is a network of shows. De- um, the, the core show is dedicated to Firestorm and Aquaman because, you know, why wouldn't you have a Firestorm and Aquaman team up? podcast it only makes sense and along that same feed we do shows on who's who we as we mentioned we do the hero points podcast which is about dc we have a power records show you remember the power records growing up there's a show based on power records um so it's it's a lot of fun it's actually how gene and i met it was yes. through the Fire and Water podcast. So. Well, because the Fire and Water podcast was the technically the second, but the first full-on geeky podcast that I ever listened to. I and think instead of saying second, you meant to say best. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> well, the, the first one's about cooking, so I don't think it counts here. Wow, okay. <laughs> so the expectations weren't high. <laughs> That's what Gene's really saying, folks. But that the Fire and Water podcast is what started me down the slippery slope that has ended here in me doing my own show. With... Shows. Yes, shows. Yeah, that's plural. That's, plural. that's, well, that's, yeah, an, that's this how you one... start an addiction. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, I just, I, I, they're monthly shows, so apparently yeah. I had extra time. <laughs> Speaking of plural, uh, there are there are other places to find me. I wasn't yes. done. I, I just realized. Um, <laughs> I'm also part of the Legion of Superbloggers, which is a website dedicated to the Legion of Superheroes. Uh, a lot that, that, that's a large collection of like seven of us doing that, which is lots of fun. And also, we have just recently launched another group of friends of I, uh, something called the Ultraverse Network. Because a podcast dedicated to Firestorm and Aquaman is not niche enough, uh, I am doing a line of podcasts and blogs, I guess, about a comic book company publishing effort that was from 93 to 97. And that's it. Dead. Locked away forever. But it's fun. So you can find that at ultraversepodcast.com. We have a series, we have three different podcasts on that network. Uh, we've got blog posts about different characters from the Ultraverse. If you have no idea who the Ultraverse is, you should probably run out there and check it out. If you do know who the Ultraverse is, you should absolutely run out there and check it out. And not to oh, mention your... Who, uh... who True Freaks? Sorry. Yes. I just <laughs> wow. Oh, it's all coming back to me. Uh, <laughs> who True Freaks, which is also part of the Two True Freaks podcast network. So I'm on there with Sean Engel and... Stephen Lacey and uh, Andrew uh, Leland. Um, I said that wrong on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a bunch of other hosts of a Hope Molinex and a whole host of all other fun, fun folks. So I think I'm out of stuff. I think I'm done. I think we'll, we'll just everything. call it there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much again, Chegg. Uh, this was a great conversation. I appreciate you coming on. Well, thank you so much for having me. I love your show. I, I really look forward to it every time I do episodes out. I love your mythology episodes. Don't stop. I don't care about the hate mail you got from Diablo Frag. <laughs> don't stop. I need more mythology shows. Fun, funny you should mention that. I actually got an email today from... Uh, Tim Elliott saying that he wanted more mythology shows too. So I I guess they seem to be somewhat popular. <laughs> well, it's it's in our wheelhouse. I mean, we, you know, yeah. if you like spandex superheroes, there's a good chance the section of Greek mythology and literature class was one of your favorites. It's just they kind of go hand in hand. So while you don't necessarily just focus in a Greek mythology, mythology is fascinating in many of us geeks. And to be able, it's, it's sort of like chocolate and peanut butter. You know, if we can have our geek podcast and you throw some mythology in there at the same time, well, hell yeah. Well, I'll definitely put that on the uh, the agenda for next year because the rest of this year is booked. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, thank you again, and uh, we will see you next time, everybody. Thanks. 
The Hammer Podcast is a production of thehammerstrikes.com. Questions and comments can be emailed to gene at thehammerstrikes.com. Look for The Hammer Strikes on Facebook and Google+. Part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. <laughs>